You're listening to the Real Enneagram Podcast, a spiritual quest, brought to you by the Institute for Conscious Being. Well, welcome back to the Real Enneagram. It's a spiritual quest. <laughs> it is. It is a spiritual quest. I'm Nanette Modium. I'm here with Dr. Joseph Howell. We're so glad you're joining us today. How are you, um, Dr. Joe? I am doing very well today. It's a it's a spring day here in Alabama. It's very sunny, but it's very chilly. It, and yeah, it's beautiful. It's it's definitely one of those um, bright chilly days, but uh, we we know that spring is coming, which is um, which is which is always nice to know that the seasons change and that a that a that a beautiful new one is a, is about to spring forth. So, um, Joe, I I have spent a lot of time with you recently. And uh, we, we've recently taken a, a rather big, I would call, pilgrimage to India with your wife, uh, Lark, and with my husband, Sai. And um, we've been back a, a, a few weeks now, so we are not jet-lagged too much anymore, I don't think. I think we're finally back in this time zone. But I was hoping today that we might just talk about, I know you had... Um, a number of spiritual encounters while you were there. And I, I I believe maybe you've had a little bit of time to process it. And so I thought maybe we could talk about um, our trip to India today. Yes, I would love to do that, Nanette. That trip is really hand in glove with the Enneagram because the Enneagram is really just a spiritual tool that helps us get in touch with and live out of our soul. Sadly, it's taught only on the level of personality very frequently. And that's why the Institute for Conscious Being came into the uh, existence to help uh, promote the original object and purpose of the Enneagram, which is to help us return to our essence. And in India, I had several experiences of soul and essence and um, of coming to deeper understandings about humanity and the soul of humanity. So for me, this pilgrimage was definitely a pilgrimage of consciousness. The the universal truth of consciousness. It's amazing when we when we get out of our familiar patterns culturally and um, geographically. When we change the pattern and when we see people who are essentially the same yet living with different food and different patterns and different um, expectations and cultures. It's amazing how we still see the truth underneath it all. Yes. And, you know, even in the hotels and in vendors on the street, there was a, as you well know, because you've been to India multiple times, many, many more times than most people, because you're married to a person from India. How many times, by the way, have you been? You know, Joe, I don't know. So many times I can't count. I don't know. Oh. 20, 30, 40, I, I don't know a lot. <laughs> uh, you know, I've been going at, at least multiple times a year and we've been married for 30 years. So, yes. um, okay. yeah, a lot, a, a, many times. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it, it's been a beautiful exposure for my life, for sure. Absolutely. And, and just to see 
in the culture, whether they be street vendors or people in hotels or people in elevators or people who greet you at informal functions, the use of the word namaste (laughs) and the cupping of the hands and the slight bow, to me, is it isn't saved just for people at your temple or your mosque or your church. This is a a more of a cultural thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking Mm -hmm. to myself, if namaste, which is made the God in me meet the God in you, if that has become a cultural moray and greeting of a society, what does that say about the God-centeredness of that society? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The pervasive uh, presence of, of the spiritual in even a business meeting. What does that say? It's not really like this country or other countries that I've visited in Europe. Yeah, that is true. There, and and if we think about you know ju- just the history of our country's interaction or people, uh, it it has been uh, it has been a. A common pilgrimage, really. Uh, I mean, not for the masses, obviously, but many people have gone to India to to have a spiritual experience, and um, and so yes, I, I I would say that there is something uniquely spiritual about that country, um, for sure. And then we had the opportunity, being uh, because of Sai and his contacts in India. Of course, you know that we had the opportunity of uh, visiting an ashram on two separate occasions for two entire days, the same ashram. And on the first visit, I was I was blown away because of the the beauty of the ashram. It was not like the ashram I saw in Eat, Pray, and Love. With Julie Robert, which was, yeah. I think, one one building. It was acres and acres and acres of places to walk and be, and lush vegetation, a stadium for thousands of people to come and meditate together. It, it's the heartfulness um, meditation ashram or center in Hyderabad, India. And uh, being there um, and speaking with some of the leaders was a heart-centered thing for me because we were welcomed with such intimacy right from the beginning. And being able to be invited uh, into some of the leaders' uh, personal homes was beautiful and being able to sit in meditation with them before we even talked mm-hmm. was an absolutely beautiful thing. Uh-huh. And then- it, it's their practice, and let's just say, Joe, it, 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 to our listeners, it's a, it's their practice there to not have conversations until there's meditation, and because that they realize that we will have a much more uh, real and authentic and um, soul-centered conversation, an elevated conversation, if you will, if we if we do that out of meditation, which was so wise, I thought. Oh, I loved it. 
Well, yeah, and a beautiful experience. Yes. And then, you know, to be given a tour of this facility that has really physically sprung up in the last eight years. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Of course, the organization has been going for 70, 75 years, begun by philology in the early 19, uh, well, I suppose the mid-1900s. And then to to be able to take a tour of the various gardens and labyrinths and bookstores and and libraries on the scale of of, of a place bigger than Disneyland, Disney World, <laughs> uh, with people driving golf carts around only at 25 miles an hour. Yes, but definitely a uh, slower pace uh, was, was the objective. <laughs> and to see the spirit of people there, Nanette, who aren't worried about if if they're driving 25 miles an hour, if they're going to get where they're going on time. Mm-hmm. They get where they're going when they're supposed to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that that would work here Hmm. in my life here unless i try to make it work which means that i'm going to be late and i'm going to run over in my speaking engagements and i'm going to uh have to make excuses about the fact that i was not there when i had hoped to be but they do that that's okay with them because they're on a different time schedule. Mm-hmm. They're on a, it's, I guess we would call it um, Kairos time instead of Kronos time. Mm-hmm. I like that because the mechanisms of that clock are all spiritual. And yeah. it touched my heart to see a community of thousands of people who all had their jobs, all had their things to do. But everyone who was working in synchronicity, <laughs> God's timing. Yeah. So then we go and go to other places in India, as you well know, and we're given a call back from the leader of this ashram who we did not get to meet on our first trip, Daji, who is the spiritual master of the ashram. And uh, the people that we met with first told him about us, and he desired to have a personal meeting with us. Now, this is a very, very busy human being with an organization of well over 600,000 people across the globe and counting. And they have just had over 100,000 people from all over the globe the weekend we were there. He was... Uh, in charge of all that. Mm-hmm. But he wanted to meet the four people from Alabama. And he made space to do it. And we were invited to walk with him, sit with him, be with him, listen to him speak. And before we did, again, we had meditation before we spoke. And one of the beautiful things that happened was when we were on our walk, there were two little children 
who were on the walk as well. I guess four years old, five years old, a little boy and a little girl. Mm -hmm. And never will forget that Dodgy only spoke to the children at first. That's mm -hmm. the only people he communicated with. And there must have been maybe 10 uh, of us uh, walkers, <laughs> adults, uh, walking with uh, Dodgy around the lake. And then when we come to sit down, he talks to the children. And the children are just children. They don't know who he is, but they're drawn to it. Because mm -hmm. just like a, a, a grandparent, they, they were magnetized to that love. Mm -hmm. And I never will forget one of the children, the little girl child, said to Dodgy, look, I'm going to get a handful of this dirt. And when I drop it on the ground... I'm going to shape it in the shape of a heart. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll never forget that because the heart is a symbol uh, for me and for Lark personally of our children and the love we have for them. And to see a heart is for us to, to really have a sign that their, their souls are present. And I knew within my heart of hearts that when that little child, oh, she couldn't have been more than five, said that I'm going to scoop up a, a piece of this earth, dirt, and I'm going to put it on the ground right here, and I'm going to shape it into a heart, which she did. I then knew that more was going on in that little sharing moment than just people talking. My sense was that the Holy Spirit was present and that no one needed to talk except those children because they were the only pure souls who were there. And mm -hmm. what they said and what they did set the tone for the rest of our day in that ashram mm -hmm. uh, for me at least yeah. and after that we were invited just the four of us were invited to come to the master's home to speak with him about our work and he had gotten from some of the other leaders a copy of the book called becoming conscious and uh that's the book we use as our major textbook in the Institute for Conscious Being. It's about the Enneagram, the soul child, and the soul. I think I wrote that about in 2012 or 13. And uh, he had read it, and he wanted to talk to you and Cy and me and Lark about it. And I never will forget this great master, this spiritual leader, pulled out this book and began reading passages to us and saying how much those agree with the teachings of what they do at the Heartfulness Meditation Ashram. I felt that we were getting a blessing mm -hmm. from somebody in another world, 12 time zones away, in another culture, but a person who was of God 
and who recognized something of God that we were doing with our lives, that what we were teaching, what we were trying to bring into the consciousness of of the side of the hemisphere that we're in. And mm-hmm. it was a substantial blessing for me, Nanette. And of course, we've had talks since then privately, you and I, and Mark and you and I inside. And I know that it was a blessing for you too. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I'd like to offer in answer to your question. What do you have to say about that? Well, you know, as I kind of referenced earlier, I'm just always amazed that when you engage with people who you assume to not be like you, that you always find spiritual common denominators, you know, that there is an intersection in us all, a universal call to connect with God. And there are universal truths and patterns that that intersect. And what I found is in speaking with them was, yes, we may use different words or maybe even different language, but at the end of the day, the what the truth we find is still true and it's shared and it's common. And I think that's so affirming to us that um, we we start to realize like, oh, we, we haven't made this up. This really still works. And as we've said before, you know, the people can do that if, if we just just bring it back to to the real enneagram and to the the path that that one of the paths and, and teachings that we are using although the heartfulness center is not and it does not use the enneagram in their teaching we we find a lot of shared ideas and shared truth and i just think it's encouraging and people do the work of the enneagram whether they realize it or not um which which you know may may be a discussion for another day but certainly the patterns are true and they work and um and they're obvious so that when you see someone who is conscious who is functioning in a in a higher level of being that you can if you hear their story you can kind of chart their path and you can say oh i can see their spiritual progression with the map of the enneagram uh, you know and i i find that interesting and I, we found that in so many of our interactions whether it be with tour guides or or with with friends or people working in in different hospitality industries you find their personalities are there and you you see the the commonality of of humanity which is just always so encouraging and inspiring to me mm-hmm. yeah so, like we are souls yes yes there's something shining behind that i i love how if I tell on Joe for a minute, everywhere he goes, he engages with kids. He smiles. He interacts with with parents, and you know, just you you are you're so open to interacting with people, to wanting to know people, and have in to have real conversation with people and real connection, even if it's just momentarily or a train ride or you know a few few moments at the Taj Mahal with with somebody you'd met on the train before. I mean, it's just it's it, which really did happen, y'all. And so 
you know, just Joe's um, openness to to our connections and the world, because we we know, right, that we are all universally connected, and um, it's just always amazing to um, step into some place that is unfamiliar and still find human connection. So it was a beautiful experience, and we're not even telling the the numerous other ones, uh, obviously, that we had because there's not a lot of time for that. But the the Heartfulness um, Meditation Center, um, people can find it online. They have free meditations that are that can be shared, and it's a wonderful organization. And it was definitely impactful, I think, for all of us to have visited there. Absolutely, and I have since learning their technique, their meditation technique while we were there, makes me want to study that more and incorporate it more so in what we do at the Institute for Conscious Being, because it's a powerful uh, meditative practice that it's not like any other that I've ever known. There's not a rigid way of sitting that you you they want you to be comfortable and it includes another component and i want to have a podcast about the that meditation practice nanette but they include another component which is called a cleaning meditation which actually cleanses us from the psychological residue of the egoic conflicts that we build up inside of us each day and this is uh this is beyond um prayer it's not prayer it's a process of being in a meditative state whereby we are cleaned from the inside out and i love it and i want to talk more about it well we'll certainly do that and um and so joe thank you for sharing with us today thank you. and uh, we look forward to uh, you know seeing what other uh, connections um, we can make and what other things we can learn um, from wisdom teachers, and we will certainly discuss those more in the future. Thank you, Nanette. That wraps up another episode of the Real Enneagram, brought to you by the Institute for Conscious Being. If you're interested in furthering these conversations, please reach out to us through our Instagram at The Real Enneagram. Or if you're interested in our upcoming trainings or other resources, please visit our website, www.instituteforconsciousbeing.org. Thanks for listening.